If you love the History Extra podcast, make sure you follow us to keep up to date and get all the latest episodes. Thanks for your support, and I do hope you enjoy this episode. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash History Extra. Just go to Indeed.com slash History Extra right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. <laughs> And welcome to the History Extra podcast from BBC History Magazine and BBC History Reveal. I'm Ellie Cawthorne. 2022 is the History Extra podcast's 15th birthday. So to mark 15 years of fascinating historical conversations, we've asked 15 historians to nominate a figure from history who they think deserves their 15 minutes of fame. Some are inspiring people who deserve more airtime today. Others are those whose significance in history has been overlooked. And some simply led fascinating and unexpected lives. In today's episode, Professor Michael Scott nominates Cleisthenes a 6th century BC aristocrat who's considered by some to be the father of Athenian democracy, even though it wasn't the democracy we might recognise today. Kev Lockchin spoke to Michael to find out more. Michael, thank you so much for joining us on our 15 Minutes of Fame podcast series. It's great to have you here. Hi, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm looking forward to introducing my character to you. Well, yes, that character, the person you've chosen to talk about is Cleisthenes, who when you suggested him, you called the supposed founder of Athenian democracy. And it feels like that supposed is doing a fair bit of heavy lifting there. So he lived in the 6th century BC. I wonder, to start us off, if you could give us a bit of a brief overview of who he was and what he did. Yeah, so I think this guy is worth looking at because, as I as you introduced, the supposed founder of democracy, he's often even called the father of Athenian democracy. And even the ancient historians, like Herodotus, the famous 5th century historian, claimed that this guy Cleisthenes gave the Athenians their democracy. Now, given the emphasis we put on Athenian democracy being at the forefront and really at the as the beginning of the journey of the political systems that we embrace today, this guy ends up being quite an important character. If he's the father, the progenitor, the one who gave the Athenians this democracy, we should be taking a closer look at him. And if we do, what we find is um, actually quite an un 
democratic looking character. Uh, he's not kind of the person you might imagine the father of Athenian democracy to be. I think, you know, if we say that term, we might be thinking of a young, rebellious, uh, kind of revolutionary, an idealist. Uh, and instead, who we find is a aristocratic Athenian from one of the most elite and noble families of Athenian history, who's been around the block by the time he gets to actually supposedly invent democracy. This guy is in his 60s. He's not your revolutionary, young, idealistic rebel. He's a well-seasoned, well-wrinkled Athenian aristocrat who has been part of the elite political bickering that's been going on in Athens for the best part of the 6th century. And if we just situate ourselves in kind of what, what's the politics that's going on in Athens pre-democracy, we've basically gone through a 100 years in which it's been aristocratic elites putting themselves forward and sort of becoming what we know today as a tyrant ruler. Now, that's not necessarily a bad thing. We think of tyrants as always being bad, but actually in the 6th century in Greece, you could you could have a good tyrant. It was just their kind of term for a strong man. And we'd seen a series of strong men emerge from this elite group of aristocrats through the course of the 6th century. And our man Cleisthenes had been interacting with all of them. It's interesting now you talk about um, the kind of young revolutionary trope. And I mean, you also mentioned tyrants. It's probably worth knowing that I've got this right. He's the grandson of a tyrant as well. Absolutely. I mean, this is how good his, 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 his aristocratic ancestry is. He's the grandson of one of the most famous tyrants of a different city in ancient Greece, the city of Sicyon. Um, and that granddad was also called Cleisthenes. So he's named after his granddad tyrant ruler of Sicyon. And that's on his mum's side. And on his dad's side, he's descended from one of the most elite aristocratic families of Athens who are called the Alcmyonid family, who have actually been at the epicentre of Athenian politics for more than a century and a half. So this guy is not your outsider young rebel coming in to shake it up and change and, you know, charge of the light brigade in with brand new ideas. This guy is absolutely the product of the Athenian political system of the time. So given that he is um, essentially an aristocrat, essentially his elite. How does he get to the point where he's, well, I mean, introducing Athenian democracy? Is it democracy as we understand it? Absolutely not. And they wouldn't have been calling it democracy either. The system that he goes on to give birth to or help give birth to in Athens. Um, no, no one, including Cleisthenes himself, woke up one morning went, Eureka, I've had a brilliant idea. Let's call it democracy, right? The word democracy wasn't even used in, in ancient Athens until you dial forward at least another 50 years. The system that Cleisthenes helps bring about, that we can go on to talk about, it was known in the ancient Greek as a system which prioritised isonomia, which if you translate into Greek is kind of equality before the law, and isegoria, which translates as the equal right to speak in the assembly. So the system that he's going to bring forward is not democracy as we know it, but one which is revolutionary in the sense that it is saying everyone who is a citizen of Athens has the right to equal treatment before the law. That wasn't quite so revolutionary, but what really was revolutionary was equal right to speak, be heard 
and take part and act in in the senior governing kind of business of the city. And, and that equal rights he introduced, presumably at that time, those are equal rights for some, not all. Oh, yeah. I, I, I mean, you know, the, the, the site problem we have to get our heads around constantly by putting ancient Athens on this pedestal as the sort of progenitor of our modern democracies is that throughout the heyday of Athenian democracy, it was still only democracy for men. Women were not politically active citizens and they never had a vote and they never had a voice. And equally, it was a system entirely based on slavery. So it was democracy based on a massive, massive number um, of slaves. So, you know, we we constantly have to wrestle with this, right, that a system we sort of see as the the beginning of our journey is a system that we would not want to recognise as democracy today. But at the same time, we might want to say to ourselves, actually, the ancient Athenians looking at our democracy wouldn't recognise us as democracy either, because we sit on our bums most of the time and vote occasionally people in to do the business of government for us, whereas the ancient Athenians thought that if you're doing democracy, the only version of democracy that's worth it is direct democracy where everyone is voting and talking about every issue. So we wouldn't recognise them and they wouldn't recognise us. So in this version of democracy, people are much more actively engaged. Absolutely. And that's kind of at the nub of the story, really, of of kind of how Cleisthenes ends up being this poster boy of democracy, despite all the things that you could write down in the column going, this is not the kind of guy who emerges as the father of democracy. And, you know, there he is. So, so the, the, the history of the brief years before democracy comes into play is that there are two tyrant rulers, a guy called Hippias and a guy called Hipparchus. One of them gets killed in an assassination and the surviving one, Hippias, be- turns from good tyrant to definitely bad tyrant. And that happens between the years of 514 BCE and 510 in 510, Hippias has got so bad and so kind of uh, kind of horrendously kind of overempowered uh, and kind of overbearing that, in fact, Athens and those other aristocrats that are all kind of there in the, in the picture rise up and bring in the city of Sparta, their forces, their well-known soldiers, those guys who went to Thermopylae, to actually oust Hippias and get rid of the tyrant. So in 510 BCE, Athens suddenly has no leader and there's this political vacuum. And what fills it? Just the same sort of thing that's always filled it. It's those elite aristocrats bickering with one another to try and get the biggest group of supporters they can to push them into becoming the next tyrant ruler. And and in this kind of tussle, Cleisthenes is a main figure, but he's not actually the most powerful one. There's another guy called Isagoras who actually has the upper hand. He has more elite support than Cleisthenes does. And so Cleisthenes, so those ancient sources tell us, looks around and goes, how can I turn the tables here? And he realises that up to now, no one has actually tried to enlist the support of the mass of the Athenian people. It's all about making sure you've got the aristocrats on your side. But there's this mass of Athenian people who no one's bothered thinking about before. And so the ancient sources, it's really interesting the terminology that they use because they talk about Cleisthenes prosheterizdatai, 
the mass of the people. Now, if you break that down, that's a very aristocratic political infighting word to mean he added the people to his faction. So I think we have to understand this as just elite bickering politics as normal in the political vacuum of 510, in which Cleisthenes is smart enough to realise there's a mass of people out there that currently haven't been given a voice, and he adds them to his faction by promising them a system in which they have a greater power and a greater say. And that is enough to turn the tables on his opponent, Isagoras, who actually makes the fundamental mistake of thinking Sparta came in once to help, Sparta can come in again to support him. But this time, the mass of the Athenians see it as Athens versus Sparta, and they don't like the fact that this guy has brought in an outsider army. And so they actually, the mass of the people of Athens rise up and they sort of barricade poor old Isagoras and his Spartan troops on the Acropolis until they agree to give in and leave the city entirely and walk away. And at that moment, and this has taken about two years, this process, by 508 BCE, Cleisthenes, the old aristocrat, has got a mass of the people who he's promised more voice to if they support him, and he's now got to deliver. So does it actually begin as an act of bad faith, as in I'm trying to get you on my side so I can become a tyrant, but now suddenly I've got to divulge some of this power, hand it out. Yeah, I think, you know, people really argue about this guy, Cleisthenes. Is he an idealist who, you know, despite being, you know, spending his entire life in the aristocratic bickering politics of Athens, was he secretly always nurturing a flame for, for mass of the people to have a voice? Or was he just an absolute scheming realist who was looking for any edge he could get at the time uh, to get to get power over his rival Isagoras and then realised he actually had to deliver on that. You know, democracy, I think many people would argue, is not his intention. And so some people would even talk about the accident of the development of democracy in ancient Athens, that it was this unintended byproduct of aristocratic infighting that just so happened through Cleisthenes to take a form which then could develop and mature over the next 50 years or so to really then, in the 5th century BCE, become the democracy, the direct democracy of Athens that has been so famous. Still to come on the History Extra podcast. And they're so convinced it's such a good thing that by the 460s BCE, they're actually naming their male children Democritos. That was a popular boy's name in ancient Athens in the 460s to call your kid democracy. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash History Extra. Just go to Indeed.com slash History Extra right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Given that accidental nature, how does democracy survive 
its very beginning? Like, is there anything we can say as to why the other aristocrats of Athens suddenly accepted having all these other voices? Yeah, and I, I think this is where Cleisthenes deserves some real credit and due. Right, uh, you know, he's I've so far I think been rather unfair on him, right, and, and, and painted him out as sort of not really deserving the title of father of Athenian democracy. But it's really in this moment when he has to deliver that I think the genius of Cleisthenes shines through, because what he realised was that actually not just the city of Athens, but you have to remember that Athens, the city, controlled a whole territory around it, the territory of Attica, and all the Athenians were spread out across that entire territory. And all the different aristocratic elite families had power bases in different areas of that territory. And of course, as as kind of in any society, aristocratic society you could look at, they had land around them and they had people around them who were their natural supporters. So every group had their kind of natural supporters uh, in different parts of, of Attica. So what he said was, OK, let's completely rewrite the ways in which the people of Attica contribute into the city. And the, 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 the sort of smallest uh, sort of measure of, of civic organisation in ancient Attica was something called the Dean. So it's our equivalent of a local borough, basically. And there were 139 Deans. And he said, OK, I'm going to group Deans uh, spread out around Attica. They're going to be grouped into a next level up, which he called Trites. And there were 30 trites. Now, here's the really smart bit. He then said, OK, I'm going to take a trites from the city of Athens and I'm going to combine it with a trites from the inland Attica and I'm going to combine it with a trites from the coast of Attica. Three completely distinct geographical areas are now going to be brought together and those three trites will be one tribe. And so the 30 trites produced 10 tribes of Athens. And so suddenly everyone in Athens, whether you were an elite aristocrat or whether you were the lowest born Athenian citizen, had a new way of engaging with the politics and business of Athens. And it was all done through your tribe, forcing you to work with people who actually weren't geographically close to you and thus were not part, all part at least, of the same old aristocratic landed support networks. And he made the tribes the the way in which you uh, became, did your military service, the way in which you participated then in the Council of Athens. Every tribe got a military general. A tribe sat together in the theatre. This was the sort of way in which you engaged. And at the same time, he said everyone, not just the uh, elites, could could be elected into office. And that election, this is his second stroke of genius, was done by totally randomised lot. So those are the two things that Cleisthenes really did shake up in 508 BCE and for which he deserves absolute credit because it laid the groundwork for a sustainable system in which people could actually, all people from whatever their uh, their kind of financial and social backgrounds, as long as they were Athenian male citizens, could contribute equally into the government of the city. And they did so through a system which was completely at random. And that would lead, you know, we think something like two thirds of the Athenian male civic population during their lifetime to actually have experienced 
being on the top governing council of ancient Athens. So the reforms survive him. Was there anything to stop another tyrant coming along and just throwing them out? Really interesting, yeah, question. And what seems to have happened immediately after 508 is quite a lucky circumstance. I, if I, War is not often thought about as a lucky circumstance, but I think in terms of the history of Athenian democracy, it is. Because just two years later, in 506, Athens actually ended up on the battlefield fighting another Greek city-state, um, the Boeotians, who, you know, they were often at war with. But suddenly, Athens scored up a, a massive victory in a way that they really weren't expecting to have. And the way that that victory got interpreted was that people were now fighting for themselves, not for some ruler, not for some tyrant, not for some bickering aristocratic in-club, but for themselves and for one another. And very quickly, that kind of idea that the, the, their new system, whatever they were calling it, not democracy at this moment, but whatever they were calling it, had somehow been responsible for enabling that military superiority. And it wouldn't be too long before that connection between their political system and their military superiority was going to be proved again, because just uh, 16 years later was 490 BCE and the Battle of Marathon when the Persians invaded and the Athenians managed to see off the Persians, right? So another major kind of thumbs up for what their democracy could enable them to do. And a decade later, you've got the Persians coming back with the battles of Salamis and Plataea, where again, the Athenians, and particularly the full mass of the Athenian citizenry, were absolutely instrumental in pushing back the might of the Persian Empire. So these kind of three major military conflicts, all within 25, 26 years of the instigation of this new system, really helped convince people that it wasn't worth going back, that they were actually better off as a result under their new system of isonomia, isagoria, and over the next 50 years would eventually be called democracy. And my favourite kind of th fact about the ancient Athenian democracy is that when that word democracy gets picked up and gets coined and gets starts being used as the label, they're so proud of it and they're so convinced it's such a good thing that by the 460s BCE, they're actually naming their male children Democritos. That was a popular boy's name in ancient Athens in the 460s to call your kid democracy. So as reforms persist, what do we know about what happens to the man? This is perhaps the biggest mystery of them all, because after those brilliant, incisive changes in 508 BCE that set the Athenian system on a completely new path that will lead to democracy in antiquity and, of course, you know, today uh, stands at the start of our own journey towards modern democracy, we know absolutely nothing about what happened to Cleisthenes, the man. He just disappears from the sources entirely. And so many people have assumed that he must have died uh, very soon after 508 BCE. He was already in his 60s. Actually, 60s was 60 to 70. At 70 in an antiquity, you were pushing it. You were pretty old uh, at the age of 70 back in the end of the 6th century BCE. And so it's quite possible that he did. And if he did die very soon after 508, he died never knowing quite how extraordinary and how long-lasting 
his ideas really were going to be. He's an absolutely fascinating character, and we'll probably talk about him for quite a lot longer. But in brief, why does he deserve his 15 minutes of fame? Well, I think Kleisnes, I've been pretty harsh on him. He starts off as not your average, obvious revolutionary, bringing in you know, new ideas. But he does deserve that title of father of Athenian democracy. And he does deserve his 15 minutes of fame here. Because in the muddy, difficult, confused atmosphere of post-508 BCE, when everyone's looking to him to deliver on his promises, he really comes up with two brilliant new ideas for how to structure Athenian society and how to give everyone a chance to play their part in Athenian society. So that first point, how does he restructure? Well, he reorganises how the territory of Athens and and Attica more widely, how every citizen actually is able to contribute into the new political system through a new system of 10 tribes. And then secondly, he says every Athenian citizen is going to be thrown into a randomised lot ballot to actually then take up some of the annual governing positions we need for this system to function. So suddenly, by those two things, he'd broken all the old aristocratic land ties, given people, everyone, a new way of engaging with the new political system, and at the same time made it possible that anyone could actually end up on its governing council. That was Professor Michael Scott speaking to Kev Lotchen. Michael's a classicist from the University of Warwick, and his books include Ancient Worlds, an Epic History of East and West. If you're enjoying this series and would like early access to more episodes to hear more historians nominating people who deserve their 15 minutes of fame, go to historyextra.com forward slash 15 hyphen minutes. Thanks for listening. This podcast was produced by Daniel Kramer Arden. Arden.